it will be a result by just becoming more more data literate. Um, if not, we, we've already seen what happens. Um, and from a sustainability standpoint, what happens is these very smart, capable people uh, within organizations hate their jobs. And when they hate their jobs, they half-ass it. So by default, whatever it is they're creating from a data capture report, it's it's going to degrade because they just don't care anymore. Uh, and then ultimately, they're going to leave because they'll, they've been so mistreated. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. Alrighty, alrighty. Welcome back to Lunch Chat with Jim and Jason. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of Lunch Chat, uh, although I had some toast, some avocado toast for breakfast, because I bought avocados were cheap at the grocery store. Okay. As everything else is like, it's like, here's $9 for a thing of butter. Like, avocados were super cheap, so I bought like eight of them thinking okay they'll they'll mature over time nope it's went went to bed one night they were all too hard to to cut up and then woke up in the morning it's like oh if we don't use these all up they're gonna go back bad that's the way (laughs) avocados go so anyway but i'm excited because lunch today i'm uh doing another experimentation iteration on my quest for the ultimate uh, homemade hoagie uh Mm -hmm. sandwich that's what i wanted to hear about yeah when I was going to do it yesterday, but me, man, yesterday my calendar was, uh, Wednesdays are usually ugly. Thursday this week, for some reason, was ugly. And um, just, I, I couldn't get to it yesterday with so many meetings. So today I have one role left. I was able to protect one role from my batch that didn't get in. Um, and and so I'm going to I'm gonna put the sandwich together. I'll throw a, a photo for you on Slack. Yeah, um, so we'll see how it goes. And then um probably make some more rolls this afternoon so i the role is i mean it's it's not as good as the the commercial commercially available rolls that you sent me which are incredible but it's it's getting close close enough i guess for me and that i can make it um and i can make it in three or four hours you know four three or four hours have some rolls ready um so now it's coming down to just finalizing the tweaking on the roll. I think there's a couple slight adjustments and now it just comes down to assembly of the sandwich. Mm-hmm. And like we discussed yesterday, there's yeah, an art to it. There, there's, a, there's an art to it. And, you know, after you and I talked, I went onto the YouTube and there are lots of people that talk about the art of assembling a sandwich that it's like you can start with the same raw ingredients and have two different people put it together and it's two completely different sandwiches with the exact same ingredients. So... Yeah, so like you know, pe- people who've only been to the chain places, and and never any of like the like the corner deli kind of places, you, you don't know what you're missing out on. And I say that from experience because I was telling you yesterday, like when I was in college, I worked for my uncle for a year or two years, sorry, two years when he owned a deli, you know, like a small little 
neighborhood deli and there was there's an art to it man that there there really is um and it, it brings me back to to my time at at omniture um there was a small little and we've probably we i'm sure we have talked about this sandwich shop on on past episodes uh, but there was this little sandwich shop called bailey's uh, and it was inside of a coffee shop. So you first you had to find the coffee shop, walk through the coffee shop, and then get to the sandwich shop. And just this little hole in the wall, maybe six tables, um, and always incredibly busy. It's, it's the guy, that, the owner who was the eccentric owner who, you know, you'd walk in. He's like, oh, hey, Jason, are you having that? And then he would list off exactly the sandwich that you order and how you like it. I'm like, how do you remember all this? Mm-hmm. Um uh, but, you know, just sitting there eating that sandwich was an incredible experience. And then I thought, I'm like, why can't I get this anywhere else? It's it's not like he's got his own, like he was buying the buns from a bakery. You know, he had cold cuts that you could get at your local grocery store. I'm like, why is this so much better than anything you can get anywhere else or that I can make? And I've, and for the last 20 years, I've been trying to recreate it. And sadly, and, and also happily, like he, after many, many years of running the sandwich shop, he re, he retired and closed down the store. And and so I, I can't even get my fix there. So the necessity of not having it has forced me to try to recreate something at least close. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you've never gone to a non-chain deli to get a proper hoagie, sub, grinder, whatever you want to call it in your part of the world, you are missing out. Here's why I'll tell you a couple reasons why it tastes different. <clears throat> um, a lot of the chain places, the meat is pre-cut. So it arrives at mm. the location already cut, already sliced in between wax paper, because then this way they can crank out the sandwiches much faster. It becomes yeah. much more of the assembly line. Whereas when you go to those corner delis, they, 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 they don't pre-cut anything. And it's on purpose. So it's like you're getting the meat is is freshly yeah. cut from from the case. It hasn't it's it, one. It's been in the, the case, but then it's it's freshly cut. And sometimes even some of the meats, when you repack them, they sit in their, their juices like the, the roast beef, mm. um, a couple of the kinds of hams. So it, it doesn't dry out because the minute you start cutting it, it starts to dry out. So if you've got yeah. pre-sliced meat it starts to dry out you lose the flavor so that's the biggest thing is is stuff is is freshly cut i'll say it <clears throat> the rolls the rolls are sitting in those wooden cases right you know either right behind the counter or right in front of it because when the place i worked at there was the the old fashioned you know it, it dated back to the 80s this wooden case with a little plastic slide over top of it and it would be in front of the deli case and people will go up and pick up their own roll. So people mm. go in and like, okay, that's it. And pick up the roll and bring it over. And here's, you know, I want, I've I want never seen that. I want it to, never seen oh, I'll have to send you a picture the next time I see one. I like okay. the, the, uh, the, court, the place around the corner. I don't know if it's a thing here or if it's just, <clears throat> excuse me, with the, the chains becoming the predominant thing, it's been phased out. But yeah, uh-huh. like um, every deli I've ever been to, the, the case of rolls is right there and you've got a little bag if you want to buy a dozen dozen you know, half a dozen whatever but then you make your sandwich you hand the roll to the person that's so, awesome so like you know like there's just something to like the bread kind of sitting in yeah. there. now you get you get the delivery in the morning right um 
because that's that's the third component of this is the bread is delivered every morning. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it gets delivered in the paper bags and you pour it into this tub and there's just something I, to me something about that tub. <laughs> there, there's something about like it being delivered in the paper bag and then being put in there. It kind of, it seasons it a bit versus it just kind of coming off a conveyor belt. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's, it's, it's how you prepare it, like how you dress it, how you lay the cheese, the meat, the veggies, whatever it's that that's why that taste is hard to recreate. So I think if I hear what you're saying, I need to, if I'm going to have a sandwich in the afternoon, I need to make the bun. I need to get up early and make the buns in the morning. So they have a little bit of time to cool and set. I need to find some sort of drawer to dump them into. And I finally need to pull that commercial meat slicer that's on my Amazon wish list into my shopping cart. Yes. Understood. Right. And and I have the scars to to prove it. Like I actually like nipped the tip of this finger a couple times on the meat slicer. Ooh. And I was actually joking with my uncle I, a month ago. We were on a trip. And I said to him, I said, "Do you remember when I cut my my finger on that?" He goes, "Yes, on the meat slicer. I'll never forget it." <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those things you just don't forget. <laughs> well, yeah. so one more story, and then we'll get into our topic. And I actually believe I have a segue for it. I promise we're going to get to our topic. Okay. Um. It was, we would cut the, the tomatoes and lettuce the night before and then put, put the pre-slice. But the one thing we would pre-slice the night before was lettuce and tomatoes. Uh, put a head of lettuce on there, run it through the meat slicer, pack it up, put it in the fridge, you know, put tomatoes on there, but you never use the guard because we use the guard. It squished them. Smash By it. the next morning, the jar would be just like this Water. gelatinous blob of yeah. tomatoes. Yeah. So what I would do is, is I'd stack two tomatoes on the slicer, just lightly put my finger mm. on top and run them through. And then one night, like I, I just happened to look up because someone was coming in. If someone knew, I'm like, Hey, how's it going? I, I, it didn't hurt. I just knew it. I'm like, just clip my finger. And it was such a clean cut. Like just oh, like, no, like, no, no, no. <laughs> I get it over to the sink and there's just blood everywhere. Oh, and then, of course, like you've got the vendor deal for like the towels and the the wash rags and everything. I keep wrapping the finger like I, I killed like a stack of wash rags trying to get the thing to clot. Nice, clean cut. Exactly. <laughs> One week later, I'm, do, uh, I'm doing the same thing. I'm like, you know, I just cut my finger again because someone oh. came in the door just as I was slicing the tomatoes again. Dude. <laughs> and so my uncle comes in. He's like, you did it again? And I'm like. Yeah, I, I, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, minus the cutting the tip of your finger off, I'm incredibly jealous of your experience working in a proper deli. Yeah, it, it's 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 one of those things, and that, that's why, like, like you're going to to your chain places, your subways, your Jersey Mikes, all of those. Nah, nah, yeah. I, I'll go to. The, the corner deli where the roll sits in the little wooden bin, you know, or just out in the middle of everything and they're, yeah. they're cutting the meat fresh. Yeah. But uh, <sighs> so by segue into our topic, and it's not about cutting, cutting fingers on meat slicers. So I will say that is the one thing. Be careful if you do get that meat slicer. Um, I want to continue our topic on data literacy, because just like we were talking about with making a sandwich, using data there's a skill and an art to it. There's a, there's a craft. 
You know, you can, you could go anywhere and get any kind of sandwich. You can go anywhere and get data regardless of what it is, whether you work in e-commerce and you want to bring an agency into, to help understand the data, you bring in a marketing agency and they come with data showing campaign performance. You can get data anywhere, but working with people that are literate, that understand the skill, the craft, the art behind using the data. So the skill and the craft being how to pull it, how to make sure it's accurate, how to make sure that it's, it has value. It is actually information that's going to provide value to the business. And then the art behind it of how to present that information, that it's not misleading, that again, it's accurate and the, the business is going to get value from it. Like finding those people is, is critical. And last week we just talked about what is data literacy, the academic definition of it. Um, and then kind of what, what does it mean really when you dig into data literacy and being data literate? My question today is, is the flip side of that is, is what does it mean to be data illiterate? You know, what does it mean for an individual that is lacking in the area of data literacy? I, I think for me, um, it is, I guess, most easily summed up by saying someone that takes at face value the representation of a data visualization or a data insight or a data um, summary or headline without even thinking about the need to question what that data means. And maybe that isn't as concise as I had had heard that in my head, but it it, it goes beyond... I think there's a large group of people that um, struggle to understand data, but at least there's a process going on in their head where they're saying, well, does that make sense? But they may not have the tools to understand if it actually makes sense or not. Um, Those people are on a path to becoming highly data literate. The data illiterate are, are people that don't even know or don't even have that uh, kind of thought process triggering in their head that that a number, a metric, an insight um, should even be questioned. And so I think because of that, we see so many news publications, you know, influencers on, on Twitter, or LinkedIn or Facebook, um, cable news channels, they, they, they misuse data and they know they can do it because they know people aren't even going to have that filter that says, wait a minute, does that, is that right? I don't know if that sounds right or not. Yeah. I, I think that, that, that is actually very, very concise. You know, the, the idea of not even questioning it. And I like how you worded it. I was like, just taking something at, at face value. Um, I've been talking with the team here, a couple, a couple of folks on the team and, um, and, and that topic has come up in, in discussions around working with clients and the way I phrased it to them is get to the question behind the question. So a client comes and says, um, how can I do X? And I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, okay, you could do X this way. The better thing to do is, well, what are you trying to get at? Because that's going to surface. Is X the best way to do it? Is there another way that's even better 
to get what they're getting at or is x the even the completely wrong way to go but again and this is no th- thought uh, no fault of the person asking it's it's why teams like us exist is to get to well what are you actually trying to get at because you may have read x is the best way to do it or people found success using x but that that's not really the way to go yeah and that's why data literacy is so critically important i mean obviously if you're in an analytical role it's it should be assumed <laughs> it should be you know that should be the foundation that you work from but you would think real, you would you would hope you would think but really any role um it's important to have a level of of data literacy because doesn't matter what role you're in data is part of your job whether you can see that or not whether you want to admit that or not um i was talking with a, a group of graduate students last week at east tennessee state university um and i i created a scenario for them in which they role played across a lot of different teams and one of the questions or one of the things that I talked about is like, well, well, you know, I'm in creative. Like, what does this even matter? And it's like, because it doesn't matter if you're in creative, in software development, in an executive role, in customer support role, any role that you go into, there is a data component to it. And if you don't have the ability to understand data and ask pointed questions about the data, um, you're, you're going to struggle uh, within, within your, your role. And, you know, I long thought that, um, in my very early experience on the client side as an analyst, I I got really frustrated with people on the team that were highly data literate that would ask a lot of these questions and poke holes in things. And I'm like, these guys are just contrarians or the company Eeyore, they just want to be downers. But as my experience grew, I'm like, wait a minute, they got it. Like they were incredibly data literate to the point where they could ask some very, very pointed questions in order to better understand so they could make better decisions so that they could ensure that the way we were doing things was actually a way that made sense because, you know, analytics is really, really hard. Um, and it's, it's really hard because it's not an exact science. There's a lot of art to to what we do. And I think I've used the analogy of the analyst knife when it comes to being an analyst. As an analyst, as an implementer, the power you wield is incredible. You know, how you swing that knife, going back to uh, how we started this conversation, you can start with the same set of data. You can start with the same set of ingredients, deli cuts and cheese, but the way that you slice it and put it together is absolutely going to change how that sandwich tastes. The way how you slice the data, the way how you put it together is absolutely going to change how that data looks and the story that it tells. And so, you know, we we have a lot, a lot of power. And, and by just taking everything that is done at face value, whether it's how the data was collected or how it was sliced or how it was combined, is to do a huge disservice to the complexity of of this craft that we work in. And so asking those questions to better understand how was this data collected? You know, what decisions did you make in determining how to create a segment to look at a subset of that data? You know, did you do anything different in how you summarize this data before you presented it to me? You know, those are questions of incredibly highly data literate people. Again, the opposite side of that spectrum is, oh, well, Jason said that uh, orders went up 2%, so that must be right. I don't know, maybe. 
first i love that you brought the opening story back in the it just worked story. so well it did it, it did um so i just i love that fact but like as you were talking the the one thing i kept thinking of is um marketing agencies um and companies that just take what their marketing agencies say as far as performance especially agencies that get paid on performance mm -hmm. that just take them at their word i've seen countless companies just take their agency at their word that this is this is what we drove this is this is the performance of our campaign this is the revenue associated with it this is how much you owe us and like because one of the questions i had as part of this is what does that mean for you know being data illiterate what does that mean for that person in their career and the, the the future of their career um you think about it right there if you're just taking your marketing agency's word for it you're opening yourself up for for <laughs> being taken to the cleaner uh, true um and there's an there's a, well, I don't even want to call it an upside, but there is an employability factor to it, which is sadly true. Um, in that, yeah. So, you know, I think uh, obviously from the outside, so if I'm a, if I'm a marketing agency, if I'm a vendor, if I'm, you know, selling you something, it's, it is to my advantage to find people like that because I can take advantage of them. And so I can, and I will use them to, you know, take advantage of them, to separate them from the money that they control for their, their company. But sadly, it's also true inside of companies to a certain extent that those that have a certain level of skill, but have shown that they can be manipulated and taken advantage of often aren't fired or let go because they are prime workers within an organization in which they can be taken advantage of by others in the organization to fulfill fulfill their will and their desire to rise in the organization so you're you become the type of employee that is kept around because of your incompetence because you're more easily manipulated to get me my bonus and my raise if if that makes sense yeah it, it makes total sense and i didn't even think of that coming in because like I, and maybe this is my imposter syndrome speaking, like when I was thinking about this topic, all I could think of is, is at some point you're eventually going to get found out that, you know, you, you because I, I do have maybe, and it's a bit of a caricature uh, based on experiences over my career, but like this vision of this kind of person, they live in all kinds of agencies. I've run into them multiple times where they know how limited they are when mm -hmm. it comes to understanding data. So they're, they're bombastic. They're, they're loud. They shout down others and it works for a period of time. But then I, I guess again, it's me like, you know, aren't they eventually going to get found out that they don't know as much as they scream that they know. Again, one would hope. Um, and, and sometimes they are, but then this thing just keeps churning and they go and they, they, they recreate this somewhere else. I mean, we, we've seen that happen within companies where um, we've worked with, with individuals that are incredibly boisterous and loud and incredibly overly confident that we know lack basic skills to do their job. And they do get found out and they leave. And then what happens? They go somewhere else and create the con all over again. 
yeah. you know? And True. so yeah, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a sad reality of, of how it works is there, there are people that know that that's the con they're playing and they're able to bounce around and around and someone will employ them and they'll keep moving up. But I think the vast majority just don't know what they don't know. And, and, and it's not that they're trying to con organizations. It's that, you know, they're, they're just in a place where they're easily manipulated and taken advantage of because their lack of experience. Um, and they're kept around and they're promoted because they're easy to be take. They're easy to take advantage of, to fulfill someone higher up in the organization's goals, to get more power, get more money, fill in mm-hmm. the blank. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, that being the, the individual, how does a lack of data, Ill, data literacy impact the people around that person? Well, it depends on, on the role they're in. Um, they can either become uh, part of the problem um, or they can struggle with how to, to rectify the, the problem. And I think, you know, all too often, especially in a place where there's a lack of leadership or there's, there's um, toxic leadership that is uh, by design uh, making and taking advantage of these people, um, if, if that's a role that you're around, sometimes it's hard not to get sucked into that uh, kind of whirlpool that's happening around them. And now all of a sudden you become a target as someone that the organization can, can take advantage of. Um, And for, for those, especially, you know, if we're talking data specific roles, highly data literate people can be incredibly frustrating um, because now you're in, in an organization where the work of others, their incompetence around data, um, again, could be a reflection on you. Now, is it my job to mentor and help this person? You know, do I just stay out of their wake so I don't get pulled into the whirlpool? Uh, it can be incredibly, incredibly, um, challenging. And especially if these people are in a position to control budgets and you brought up, you brought up the example of the, the, the marketing agency, and I don't want to use a broad brush to paint them all the, the same way, but man, you know, I've seen so many over the years that are highly, highly manipulative of their, their clients. And I think this is a huge reason why we have such, um, pixel wastelands with these third-party marketing pixels. It's like, we have the basic data you need to measure the effectiveness of the campaign. Why are we going and jumping through all these hoops to give you your own unique data stream? Well, that's because they've they've perfected the art of manipulation of manipulating the data to look better than they are, which creates better paychecks for them. Um, but if if you're around that person that is controlling that budget and saying, oh yeah, yeah, well they said that you know we did this and the return on ad spend was forty percent, so it's true. You know, now everyone else around you that is trying to prop up a profitable company has a harder job to do if that number, in fact, isn't true, because you're now kind of digging from a lower position to try to get out of this hole that was dug around you for no fault of your own. Yeah. And, you know, like your your point there was around the analyst side, but thinking from the architecture side, especially like the, the, the visual that the words pixel wasteland creates you know, I think of the same thing. It's it's yeah, a, a, a team comes in and says, we need to deploy these pixels. And no one asks why. What's yeah, everyone says, oh, okay. Okay. Oh, and by the way, we need it done tomorrow. Well, that's gonna be, I'll, I'll drop everything and do that. Yeah. What? Why aren't mm-hmm. we even stopping to saying why? Yeah. 
yeah, no one asks, well, why do we need this? And like the, the impacts there of not asking why. And, and, and the theme that we're just developing with this conversation when it comes to data literacy, it's, it's, it's not necessarily a specific skill set or how to use specific tools. It all comes back to asking one question, why? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, two, let's say two. Why and what's the purpose? So kind of going back to what I was saying is when on the architecture side, the site maintenance side, the data collection side, not even the data usage, when you have teams coming in just saying, well, we need this tag deployed. We need this tag deployed. No one asks why, what's the purpose of it? What does it do? Do we already have something that can provide it? Or there's duplication of effort here in that we don't need this entire tag deployed. Or the best yet is, is when teams come in and say, here's our tag and here's our data layer without even investigating what the site has in place. And again, you have, when you have people that don't ask why or what's this doing, they go and that's when you have like, three different tag managers on a website, mm-hmm. you know, like you know, you'll have Adobe launch, you'll have Google tag manager, and you'll have some kind of marketing tag, which has basic container functions on there. And no one's asking what each of those things is doing and why are we using more than one? Yeah. And I'm, and, and I'm not saying that increasing data literacy will fix all those problems, but it will go a long way in addressing those problems. And, and I think the lack of data literacy, even within analytics teams within organization, is a, a contributing factor, a direct contributing factor to why this is is happening. And and uh, it's happening because we we lack the trust in our ability to read and understand the data in order to provide an informed direction to our business partners. And because we lack that literacy, what ends up happening is our business partners steamroll us, and I've heard from so many architects and implementers where I've gone in and talked to them and say, why are you running launch Telium and Google tag manager on a site? And you're, you're running 200 third party marketing pixels, half of which were from campaigns back in 2014. Why are you doing this? And it, it saddens me to hear that many of their responses are, well, I push back a little bit, but you know, honestly, I'm just tired of getting yelled at. Uh, so I just do it. And and I think, you know, that that being yelled at, being talked down to, um, the, a big driver of that is is lack of data literacy. So I don't want to put all of the blame on a toxic, you know, marketing organization or toxic leadership, you know, coming in and yelling at you to deploy third-party pixels. Yeah, that's happening and that that sucks and shouldn't happen, but that's happening because we allow it to happen by our lack of data literacy. The stronger we are, the more data literate we are, the more confident we are that we understand what is best um, and how to have those discussions creates a much more level playing field when we talk about a lot of those things, especially from an architecture perspective. But when we lack it, and we lack the confidence to have those discussions, we put ourselves in a position to be talked down to. So we get yelled at to deploy the tags to the point where we're like, you know what? I this is just a job, man. You know, just, I'm just going to deploy the tag and go home. I'm just tired of being yelled. I don't really care what it's doing. And that, you know, that's a sad place to be for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it time and time again. And I, you know, I could think back to early in my career, the, the pressure of, you know, and it, it's sometimes not even being yelled at. It, it's, it's applying pressure in other ways. 
because it is a very real thing when it's the you know the, this very manipulative of we just need you to get this done or our campaign can't go live and it's the then they cc five other people yeah. and <laughs> yeah. all, all that all those people see is is this can't the campaign can't go live what are you doing stop mm -hmm. you know get it done they're the experts just do it because we need our campaign to go live mm -hmm. yeah uh, again like uh, i'm going going back to my point of putting yourself in a position to be taken advantage of to yeah. being manipulated um you know there's unfortunately a, a large segment of the digital analytics population that sits in that realm where very smart people very capable but have made uh choices to to put themselves in a position where they can be manipulated and taken advantage of which they are then they hate their job and then this whole thing just just snowballs um and so again sure like this should start from the top down, like this toxic way of, of doing things should be fixed at the top levels. But that isn't an excuse for us to in, in within our digital analytics roles to throw our hands up and say we're helpless. Mm -hmm. You know, there are still things that we can do to make this a healthier environment for how we, we do business, which puts us in a better position to have a job that we don't hate. And hopefully provides some value back to the organization. But let's start with just not hating our jobs. Yeah. Yeah, that, that would be a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So um, I want to dig into you know, our, our, the final question that we, that we started asking is think about everything we've talked about today. And it, it, it's interesting, like when you think again, when you think of data literacy, you just think of using the data, whether that's it's someone not knowing the data that they're using to prepare a report and unintentionally misleading people or someone who knows how to fudge the data is misleading people or people that don't know how to interpret the data. You know, we have been talking about the architecture side of two is like, why do we need this? Um, you know, are you asking the right questions? And if you're not so data literate, you don't know what questions to ask, even just on the architecture side. Um, so what does all of this mean in the context of sustainable analytics? Well, I mean, I think you you hit on a, a, a few really critical key points. If we don't know the right questions to ask, then we're, we're in a very difficult situation where if we're making sustainable choices, it's by luck. It's not because it's from an informed um, place. So, you know, that gaining that high level of, of data literacy is going to, by default, result in sustainable analytics practices. It's, again, not something I think needs to be at the forefront of your, your thought. It will be a result by just becoming more, more data literate. Um, if not, we, we've already seen what happens. Um, and from a sustainability standpoint, what happens is these very smart, capable people uh, within organizations hate their jobs. And when they hate their jobs, they half-ass it. So by default, whatever it is they're creating from a data capture report, it's it's going to degrade because they just don't care anymore. Uh, and then ultimately, they're going to leave because they'll, they've been so mistreated. And so the organization now has to take a you know, five huge steps backwards, bring someone else in to try to get them back up to where they were. And once they get close, the person leaves because they hate their job. And so there's, there's no way that you can create any kind of 
long-term sustainability when you have a transient workforce like that. And we've seen it with lots of companies that we've worked with where, you know, they, they've brought in smart, capable people, but the organizations were so toxic that these people were lasting less than a year. And, and leadership is saying, well, I don't understand why our, you know, implementation is falling apart. Well, I don't understand why our data quality is so bad. Well, what's, what's so hard to understand, you know, we've, we've, we've created these environments where, you know, data literacy has been deprioritized, where we've kind of devalued that role, devalued the education around the importance of data. It's made people hate their jobs. So they, they're making decisions that are only in the short term to get by one more day and then they leave. So of course this isn't sustainable. So any organization that truly wants to build a sustainable analytics practice has to start with their people um, and has to start by creating as much knowledge, which is a never ending pursuit around the importance of, of data literacy in this perspective so that they can retain people that are happy, content, and making decisions that are good for the long term, not just, uh, I just want to get my job done today so I can go home without being yelled at anymore, which is the case for so many people. And just the fact that any kind of sustainable practices are made in those type of environments is just, it's got to be sheer luck. It's not because it's its happening because, you know, we're investing in data literacy, we're investing in sustainability. It's just, it's happening by, by pure chance. Mm-hmm. And what I'm thinking of is, is I'm thinking of that Nespresso machine um, you shared the picture of maybe about a month ago at uh-huh. this point, the one you put away and it's like, okay, let me break it out and, and use it. And then you were finding issues with it because yeah. even just kind of packing it away, it, it still hadn't been maintained. So it took a bit to, to get it back up and running. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such, it's such a great, a great visual. Um, but it's true. And it comes down to, excuse me, this whole thought, like if you, if you truly care about something, you have to invest in maintaining it often, daily, Mm -hmm. weekly. Um, and that storing it properly storing. Yeah. I mean, then that is true for your, your data practice. If we're not focusing on none of us, are at some kind of level where we're done learning, right? Like we can become more and more literate in how we think about data. And so, you know, that to me is part of that maintenance, storage, whatever process of caring about the things you own, that this isn't a Boolean that you're either data literate or not. You know, it's it's a spectrum that people are on that are either progressing towards more data literacy or regressing towards more data illiteracy. Um, and so it's not something we, we, we reach a destination and say we're done. It's something that we should constantly be focusing on increasing our ability to understand, question, and use data. Yep. Very well said. And I mean, I, this is, this has been a great topic. Um, and I'll be blunt, probably one that better than I thought I knew it'd be interesting, but just kind of some of the avenues we've gone down. We, we, we have two more episodes that we're going to record around this, but, um, you know, when I was thinking about it, I'm like, let, let, let's see what we can, we can learn from it. I'll tell you, this has been a bit more interesting than, than yeah. even I had expected, uh, kind of planning these out. It, it's a fun topic and it's a broad topic. And I think what's so fun about it is that this impacts every human on the planet. This isn't something that's just specific to our kind of little niche that we play in the world. Like, you know, data literacy is something that impacts every person on the planet. 
exactly it's 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 not about just well deploying evars or ga4 migrations or or building out a dashboard or uh piping data into power bi which again are, are niche things specific to us this is yeah th th this impacts your day to day yeah it impacts your life for sure yeah good stuff yeah good stuff so let's go ahead and wrap up there um, I think like the one thing I'm going to take away is, is always ask why it, it, it's, yeah. you know what, be the four-year-old, <laughs> that four-year-old yeah. was like, why, why yeah. <laughs> it's time for bed. Why? <laughs> right. Um, come on. We got to go out. Why? Where are we going? It's, it's be that four-year-old that's asking why. Absolutely. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the great chat, uh, we'll get ahead and wrap up there and talk to everybody later. See you. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.